Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Not everyone gets this opportunity to flop. And if you keep talking like that, you definitely are. This is Flop Culture. Welcome back to Flop Culture, a podcast where we talk about our favourite flops, celebrity culture and everything in between. My name is Fanula Jay. You are very welcome back for episode two. Thank you so much for listening to episode one, if you have, with DJ Louis Fourteenth, all about Khalees. Seemed to go down well. If you haven't listened, I would highly recommend going to listen because he is just an oracle when it comes to pop music. And um, you will find yourself just... You'll have Khalees on constant rotation for a week. And I'm not going to apologise for that. Um, Very glad to have you back in a week that has been absolutely mental for pop culture. Kind of only one thing dominating the news. And it's probably the only thing I'm going to talk about, to be honest, because I think it deserves enough time, enough breathing room to get into. Um, And that's exactly what we're going to do. Also very excited to talk about our flop this week. That'll be coming a little later on. I think you'll be very pleased with my guests this week. Um, But first... Let's talk about the news. Don't worry, darling. H- how glad am I that I didn't actually do this last week? And I said, you know, I'll wait. Maybe there'll be an update. Not even realising that the following week, i.e. this week, uh, it was going to be premiering at the Venice Film Festival. This is the dystopian feminist, in inverted commas, thriller uh, from Olivia Wilde her second movie in the role as director, and this has just been completely and utterly plagued with bad news, feuds, rumours, everything in between. The story has just come to the most crazy of heads, not even one head, just multiple heads everywhere this week. Um, And it would be amiss of me to lie and say that I didn't love it, because I do. Um, It's very interesting. It's very demented, in a good way, in a bad way, 
in every way. Um, and I know maybe some people are sick of hearing about it. Some people aren't on the wiser as to what is going on. This is what I'm going to be talking about this week. The backstory, where we are at now, this is an ever-changing story. So this could all be completely wrong by tomorrow, such is the way with news and the way with celebrity culture. But this is where we're standing now. And one major thing I want to say before we even get into anything. So I'm going to give like the critical path to use what voice was that? To use business speak for what the hell has been going on, right? But there are tendrils to this story that I will revisit. And I think there are obviously the main players who are the people. And then there are almost secondary characters that are more abstract that I'll get into. And my favorite phrase is multiple things can be true at once. So I just want you to bear that in mind with everything that we're talking about. And when you think about this and get into this. And also, what was the other thing I was going to say? I'm out of breath from that spiel. Uh, oh, yeah, this is just my opinion. This is just my opinion. You're going to have opinions. Everyone has opinions. Isn't that great? What's that saying about assholes? Anyway, don't worry, darling. Let's get into it. So, as I mentioned, this is Olivia Wilde's second movie as director. Her first movie was Booksmart, a critical triumph, by no means a box office smash, made $25 million against a $6 million budget, which is, while it seems like crazy money to us, very low for a movie like that. The stakes are very high for this, and the stakes were very high for Don't Worry Darling, even beyond this kind of media madness. Much higher budget this time around, you're talking $20 million, I should say. Um, and also you need to consider Wild in the context of the industry and female directors. Um, if this movie is a success, if you're to read the reviews critically, not really going down that well. I still think despite everything, this is going to make a boatload of money because people are going to want to see what all the fuss is about. Um, and Florence Pugh, who we will talk about later, her performance is being praised Um when you talk about the studio that's buying the film, it's Warner Brothers. They are currently struggling as they're undergoing or they're just off the back of a, a post-discovery merger so they could do with making a few bob here. Uh, it was also, Olivia went with them because they promised her a fully theatrical release, not just streaming. So she took less money for that. Stakes are high all around, right? So then we get to the casting. So bring yourself back to 2020. It's April 2020. We're all making the coffee, the TikTok coffee. You know, it's all, it's a dark time, right? The casting is announced for the sci-fi movie. We have Shia LaBeouf, Florence Pugh, Chris Pine. Harry Styles is nowhere in the conversation yet, right? That's April 2020, September of that year. Shia drops out from the film due to scheduling conflicts and is replaced by Harry Styles in the role of Jack. December of that year, we have two of Shia's ex-girlfriends, FK Twigs and Caroline Foe, filing lawsuits against the actor citing physical, emotional and sexual abuse, which fueled speculation around why maybe he left the film. Uh, there was a report in Variety at the time claiming he was dropped from the film due to poor behaviour um, at the time, he didn't comment, neither did Olivia Wilde. Then you get to last month, August 2022. Olivia Wilde is on the cover of Variety and she's addressing the rumours around LaBeouf's departure, Shia. 
She said, I say this as someone who is such an admirer of his work. His process was not conducive to the ethos that I demand in my productions. He is a process that, in some ways, seems to require a combative energy, and I don't personally believe that is conducive to the best performances. I believe that creating a safe, trusting environment is the best way to get people to do their best work. Ultimately, my job is to the production, my responsibility, I should say, my responsibility is to the production and to the cast to protect them. That was my job. If you go back in time again, though, let's go back to 2021, because I remember covering this for a different show. Uh, Olivia was actually speaking to Variety again for their series, uh, Directors on Directors. She was in conversation with Emerald Fennell, who was behind Promising Young Woman. Incredible movie. Anyway, she talked about having this no assholes policy on the set of Don't Worry Darling, right? In order to cancel out pesky pecking order problems during production. She doesn't say it's about Shia, and I don't have proof that it is about Shia. But if you're to, you know, if you're to do some kind of equations, I think it's about Shia. Here's what she said. Someone who's a very established actor and director in this industry gave me really terrible advice that was helpful because I just knew I had to do the opposite. They said, listen, the way to get respect on a set, you have to have three arguments a day. Three big arguments that reinstate your power, remind everyone who's in charge, be the predator. That's the end of the quote. Then she starts talking in. That is the opposite of my process and I want none of that. And then she goes on to call it this no assholes policy. She says it puts everyone on the same level. I also noticed as an actress for years how the hierarchy of the set separated the actors from the crew in this very strange way that serves no one. I think actors would actually like to know more about what's happening there when you're pulling my focus. What is that lens change? But the idea of don't bother the actors and keep them separate and don't look at them, I think it makes everyone quite anxious. So that's what she said at the time in 2021. We're in 2022 now. She's spoken to Variety. She said that, that she let Shia go. Regrettably, and I will explain what I mean by that later on, but I think most people understand, Shia had receipts. I kind of hate using that expression in this context, but anyway. He rebutted her claim. He said he quit the film due to lack of rehearsal time and he forwarded emails to Variety uh, he, that he had sent to Wild stating... You and I both know the reasons for my exit. I quit your film because your actors and I couldn't find time to rehearse. Um, there was also a video that was leaked, which, again, none of this is confirmed, but it allegedly is a video to Shia. Olivia's driving, uh, in which she is trying to convince him to stay. And at one point she says that this might be, I'm slightly paraphrasing here, that this will be a huge wake-up call for Miss Flo, referring to Florence Pugh, the female lead. Then we get to the press conference this week at the Venice Film Festival. A variety journalist actually asked, uh, attempted to ask about Shia and uh, they were simply told, it's on the internet. No questions about Shia. You can go find that out yourself. Then, that brings us to Olivia Pugh. Olivia Pugh? Oh my God. Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde. Bear with me. Lots of names. So you're having this you know, like Shia leaves, Harry comes in, Harry Styles, in the role of Jack. Um, so there's lots of rumours around like their relationship. Well, there kind of wasn't initially. And then there's photos of them at a wedding. Nothing's really confirmed for a while, but lots of sources basically being like, they're happy, whatever, blah, blah, blah. This is in the wake of the end of her relationship with actor Jason Sudeikis, who she was engaged to for many, many years. And they share two children. But... After this then, once their kind of relationship is confirmed and everything else, 
this kind of rumour around a feud between Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde just starts to build and build and build. And it's mainly around Florence's lack of promotion because obviously with these types of films and how buzzy it was, how hyped it was, how strong the cast was, I'm I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know anything about contracts, but you would imagine there is something in contracts for most of them that is like you have to do X amount of press. Um, and she did kind of, I don't want to say zilch because that's not true. She shared the very first teaser trailer for Don't Worry Darling, which would have been last year. And she's been very, 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 very silent on it since. Variety reached out to her to comment on the Olivia Wilde interview they did and she declined because she was she's currently filming Dune 2. Um, and she was confirmed for the Venice Film Festival red carpet but did not participate in the press conference. So that is a little bit odd. That's a little bit odd from a leading actor, male or female identifying, to be honest. So you have all these rumours. Um, she lands in Venice unbothered not really saying anything, having the time of her life. They're all still actively promoting the movie at the press conference. Or sorry, even prior to the press conference, in that same interview with Variety, Olivia is having to quash these claims of there being any animosity between them, saying there's been a lot there out there. There's been a lot out there that I largely don't pay attention to. But the absurdity of invented clickbait and subsequent reaction regarding a non-existent pay disparity between our lead and supporting actors really upset me. Sorry, that was a rumour that came out as well that apparently Harry Styles was paid way more than Florence Pugh, which I knew from the get-go was just an absolute load of horseshit that I fully, in my heart of hearts, believe came from the fandom, which again, I will come back to. While goes on. Uh, I'm a woman who's been in the business for over 20 years and it's something that I fought for myself and for others, especially being a director. There's absolutely no validity to those claims. And, you know, she's kind of, like, she's been really, she doubled, you can read the Variety interview, I'll leave all the links in the show notes, but she's doubled down and, like, really praised Florence, her performance, her everything. Pew hasn't said anything about this. Not as if, as I said, she didn't comment for the Variety article, wasn't at the press conference for Don't Worry Darling. Prior to the press conference, she did do an interview with Harper's Bazaar and she spoke out around kind of the media coverage around the film because it is a bit racy and all there's a bit of there's a bit of riding which is being criticized. We'll talk about that. She said to Harper's Bazaar, when it's reduced to your sex scenes or to watch the most famous man in the world go down on someone, it's not why we do it. It's not why I'm in this industry. Obviously, the nature of hiring the most famous pop star in the world, you're going to have conversations like that. That's just not what I'm going to be discussing because the movie is bigger and better than that. And the people who made it are bigger and better than that. Um, and as I said, Wilde was, you know, talking a big game about Olivia at the press conference. I can't say enough how honoured I am to have her as our lead. She's amazing in the film. And as for all the endless tabloid gossip and all the noise out there, I mean, the internet feeds itself. I don't feel the need to contribute. I think it's sufficiently well-nourished. Kevin Marr, who writes for The Times, was there and he tweeted and said, the room is full of festival plants who are asking Harry Styles idiotic questions about his work-life balance. <laughs> Hysterical. No one is allowed to say the P word, aka Pew, because she was not there. Finally, God bless him, a Brit asks about Pew. Wild half-dodges, and now the MC has officially banned anyone from asking any more questions that don't involve ass-kissing. I'm leaving. This is shocking shite. I'll talk a bit more about Kevin's review a little bit later on because it was not uh, glowing. Then they show the film. We're still in present time. They show the film. It gets a six minute standing or a four minute standing ovation, I should say. That's important for clarity. Four minute standing ovation. If you look at videos 
Florence does not really make eye contact with Olivia at all and leaves kind of, I don't, I did like leaves a little bit through the standing ovation. She's just over it, right? She leaves. I'm going to come back to this, but one of the main kind of criticisms around this particular facet of the drama is, you know, the fact that we're talking about two women, we're pitting them against each other. We always do this. Do we need to be looking at our internalized misogyny? Do we need to be ringing the misogyny bell in our heads and being like, okay, what, what do we actually think of this? Is this true? Is this right? Um, and a lot of people have written good things about it uh, because obviously this is like such a popular trope, seeing people, women predominantly, pitted against each other, everything analysed, yada, yada, yada. You never see that with film, uh, male filmmakers. Helen O'Hara for Grazia wrote, I don't agree with the full, not everything in the full piece, but this was something that I pulled from it. David O. Russell, who's behind Silver Linings playbook, American Hustle, can get in a fist fight with George Clooney and keep working. Westerns director Sam Peckinpah used to fire a gun on set and still get jobs. And that kind of speaks to the wider conversation around, you know, fair enough if this isn't a great movie, that's a separate conversation, but how much has... You don't want the discourse of this to affect what it might mean for future female-identifying directors and what they want to do and what they want to achieve. Uh, and it, again, it goes back to that thing of like, do we want one fib from Olivia Wilde to set other women back? No, obviously not. Is it right that she lied about the Shia thing? No. This is what I mean when I say two things can be true at once. You can have lots of feelings about things. I'll get into it. Then though, we have Chris Pine. And this is probably the most recent update. You definitely knew everything I just said beforehand. At the premiere, right, the seating arrangement is very specific. You know, Olivia is obviously not sitting next to Florence Pugh, given what we've just learned. Olivia and Harry Styles are not sitting next to each other. So it's Harry and Chris Pine. And at one point, I think at this point, the movie has finished. And it seems like throughout the whole process, Chris is very, you know, kind of disassociating. There's lots of memes come out of the interviews and stuff where he just doesn't seem like he's fully present. I think he put on sunglasses as the movie was starting. Um, so I think the movie had finished. People were getting up to clap or something. Or and ha Anyway, I'm not fully sure of the entire context. Harry's going back to his chair and it seems like he spits into Chris Pine's lap, right? It's kind of one of those blinking your missing things because it's like he gets up, his face is definitely angled towards Chris Pine's crotch area. Interesting. And then Chris makes this really kind of incredulous, I can't believe it face, but I'm not going to start anything now. And again, this was one of those things where I wonder how much the fandom fueled it because this went everywhere and it was just like, it was a given that he had spat into his lap. Even though if you're going to think in any way logically, and I know Hollywood is crazy. I know I don't know any of these celebrities. I know you can't predict these things. But I believe, is Harry Styles a bit naive? Yes. I don't think he's a total idiot. And I think he knows what it would have meant to do something like that at a moment like that and also it's like is there any beef between them I don't know anyway there's this room this rumor madly madly circulating that yeah like he's spat in his lap what the hell the internet's going crazy people are trying to slow the video down people can't see this bit some people can see this bit it's absolutely going cuckoo bananas Harry says nothing Olivia says nothing 
I start wondering whether, you know, this was all a plot to distract away from the gals, to distract away from the bad reviews, everything else. I didn't think we were going to get a statement from anyone, but we did get a statement from Chris Pine. Exclusively to people, his rep told them, this is a ridiculous story, a complete fabrication and the result of an odd online illusion that is clearly deceiving and allows for foolish speculation. Just to be clear, Harry Styles did not spit on Chris Pine. There is nothing but respect between these two men and any suggestion otherwise is a blatant attempt to create drama that simply does not exist. Finn. Then we have kind of the cider characters... I mentioned Jason Sudeikis. I suppose there's another layer to this because the timeline for Harry and Olivia's relationship is not fully clear. So I think he w- had been on set for two months for Don't Worry Darling. So two months later, Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis announced that they would be separating. Then I mentioned they were spotted at a wedding, holding hands, yada, yada. Internet goes crazy, blah, blah, blah. Kind of nothing else really happens in this time. You know, like this is kind of when the rumours start milling, but they don't really, nothing really comes out. Let's go to April. I think it was this year, actually, 2022. It was at uh, CinemaCon where Olivia was served custody papers from Jason Stakus as she took to the stage in Las Vegas to promote Don't Worry Darling to exhibitors. Uh now, Sudeikis has said he had no prior knowledge of the ambush. He would never condone her being served in such an inappropriate manner. Uh, a judge has since granted Wilde's request to dismiss uh, Sudeikis's petition for custody, which asked for their children, Otis and Daisy, to eventually reside with him in New York because they've been splitting it between London and New York. She spoke about this to in the same Variety interview. She said it was my workplace. She does not refer to Jason Sudeikis by name. Uh, in any other workplace it would be seen as an attack it was really upsetting it shouldn't have been able to happen there was a huge breach in security which is really scary the hurdles that you had to jump through to get into that room with several badges plus special COVID tests that had to be taken days in advance which gave you wristbands that were necessary to gain access to the event this was something that required forethought I hated that this nastiness distracted from the work of so many different people and the studio that I was up there representing to try to sabotage that was really vicious but I had a job to do I'm not easily distracted But you know, sadly, it was not something that was entirely surprising to me. I mean, there's a reason I left the relationship. And that's where I kind of want to stop for a second, right? So if you are in any way engaged with pop culture, maybe the culture surrounding celebrity blind items, you will know that there is... I don't really know how to describe it because it's not... I suppose it is rumours and it isn't in a way because there's nothing that I've seen that's concrete. But there are large whispers in Hollywood that Jason Sudeikis is allegedly not the nicest of people. And I'm going to leave it at that um, because I do not have a legal team. It is me. I am currently recording this from an attic, okay? But I'm just going to leave that there, right? So from Wilde's perspective, this is probably very frustrating because look we don't know the timeline of when she got with Harry is it possible that she cheated on Jason Stakus with Harry yes it's also possible that she didn't and they weren't together right neither of them can say anything because again I think they're conscious of their kids which is completely understandable but you have even that little shred of doubt it gives it adds fuel to the fire for 
what do Harry Styles fans call themselves? Stylitos? I don't know. It gives, but it adds fuel to the fire for them to hate her because they're, well, there's always going to be that, what you call a small portion, minority. That's what I mean. Jesus Christ. I'm, can I have a minority of chicken nuggets, please? That's not what I meant. Anyway, you will always have that minority of that fandom who are, you know, Larry stands. And for anyone who's not familiar with them, they are basically people who ship Louis Tomlinson and Harry Styles. They believe they are in love, were in a relationship, or at, at least in love throughout their time in One Direction. And they will not be happy unless Harry is with, uh, I nearly said Louis, that's, no, I nearly said Liam, I meant Louis. They will not be happy unless they're together. And then you also just have, again, a fraction of the fans who are just really into Harry, love Harry, don't want him to be with anyone, anyone at all, except them. They want to be seen at a concert by him and loved and kissed and hugged and doted on and everything else. So there's that. And then you have the issue of Jason Stakes being very good friends with Zach Braff, who is Florence Pugh's ex-boyfriend. So then there's questions around, does Florence Pugh know the exact timeline of their relationship? Is that why she's not really happy with things? There were also kind of mad rumours, you know, that again are totally unfounded. Like Olivia was never there. So Florence ended up directing half the movie. That's not true. That's This is another one of those, the pay disparity rumours that I think predominantly came from Camp Harry Styles fandom. I just, I don't believe that. I think more people would come out and say it. Was she distracted? Probably, potentially. She didn't, it didn't mean uh, Florence stepped in and directed the whole movie. That's just not how that works. And then I suppose we have kind of whatever number or character we're on now, but I suppose, I think it's important to talk about sex and how that has been talked about with regards to this movie because I've seen a lot of good people talk about it and again I want you to take this with a pinch of salt I'm not saying this is maybe this section is necessarily my opinion because I haven't seen the movie I'm gonna wait until I see the movie um I've already mentioned what Florence said about you know the movie being reduced to kind of sex scenes Olivia Wilde has been very vocal about how with this movie she really wants to put female pleasure female sex scenes right front and centre, this was the focus. Even with the trailer, she'd spoken out most recently that there's a particular scene in which Jack and Alice, Harry Styles and Florence Pugh respectively, he is performing oral sex on her um, and that was supposed to be a longer scene, which Olivia was pretty frustrated about. But she said in a different interview with Vogue, she kind of said, you know, uh, the 1950s get this rap as a very controlled conservative era when in fact it was incredibly debaucherous. My grandparents on my mother's side loved to party. Um, and she said she wanted to kind of make this movie and make it that it was really sexy in a grown-up way. I kept saying, why isn't there any good sex in film anymore? Um, and speaking specifically about that moment with Jack and Alice on the kitchen table, uh, she said she included it in the script because she wants her audience to realise how rarely they see female hunger and specifically this type of female pleasure. And I've seen, there's an account on Instagram called Problematic Fame, which is generally very good. It does like, kind of exposes in inverted commas, the sneaky kind of editing celebs do, which I know most people are familiar with, but even they still have kind of regular posts where I'm just agog at the shit they think they can get away with. But anyway, they covered something more recently around how this movie has been promoted when it comes to sex, what Olivia said about it, and I suppose about the actual content of the film itself. 
and there are particular issues with it because uh, from what they've seen of leaked scripts and they acknowledge that, you know, these scenes might have changed. But it seems very clear that like Jack and Alice are in an abusive relationship. And they've kind of questioned why Olivia is positioning this movie as, you know, this feminist, sexy, claiming back the power movie about sexuality, sensuality, everything like that, when it's really about a couple in an abusive relationship. You know what I mean? Again, I'm just going to leave that there because I think it's interesting. I feel like I keep saying that in this podcast and that's the least interesting thing you can say about anything. But anyway, I'm going to reserve any more kind of strong thoughts on that until I see the movie. I am going to see the movie. I would wonder, and I would ask you, dear listener, are you in any way conflicted given all the drama that has gone on? Are you still going to go see it? Do you care? Will we have a read of some of the reviews? They are not good. Uh, BBC here, I have here, uh, full of half-baked ideas. Uh, Don't worry, darling, review Florence Pugh and Harry Styles sizzle in Olivia Wilde's neo-50s nightmare thriller, but the movie is more showy than convincing. Uh, I think there was one good article about, uh, about how the sex scenes didn't make sense. Which I think is interesting. I, I just, I can't wait to see this. I just, I just think, I want to see Florence. Florence is incredibly talented, and she has been anything that I have read. She is being highly, highly praised. I want to see Harry. I feel like Harry is at a very interesting point in his career. I wonder how much this is affecting it. There are a lot of rumors around his where he currently stands with Olivia Wilde because things seem to be a bit frosty on the red carpet with everything else between them. Um, I think they could have just been being cautious and playing it cool because I think they've been all over each other. That would have been another talking point. In that way, I don't think they could have won in that sense. Um, but I think he's at a really interesting point in his career when you consider the Rolling Stone interview he just gave with the brilliant Britney Spanos, um, where he's being, again, really vague about queer baiting, uh, even their relationship, he's not really, like, we know they're going out, but he's not even really confirming it. And I feel like with what he's spoken about on this press tour as well, there's been a lot of nonsense quotes come out of him about he really likes the movie because it's so like a movie. What are you talking about? It's giving, who's that beauty pageant queen? I'll get the audio. Doctor, doctor, Carolina, whatever, like such as, uh, uh, and talking about the maps. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. Um, or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries. So we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much, South Carolina. He's just sounded a bit like that. The accent hasn't been great. I just think... I don't know. I, without saying it's interesting, again, it's fascinating. There's another synonym. One other really important thing I want to say as well, just before we move on from this, is 
I suppose I feel like we've moved very quickly away from the Shia Olivia interaction and like that disagreement. I don't really know how else to describe it. There's obviously very serious allegations against Shia and regrettably this has been a way for him to use this as like a way to reclaim the narrative against him. And when I say that, I also want to acknowledge that I fully believe in recovery. I know he's an addict, but I'm just really uncomfortable with the fact that because he had the evidence, you know, well, sorry, I will say, this is what I mean when I say things can be true at once and things can be complicated and it's important to acknowledge that. He was obviously right to call Olivia out, but I think it was, she's she obviously used that motive, that moment in the Variety interview as like a redemptive arc for her because, you know, there's been all this criticism and talk around the movie and she's like, this is my moment to be like, okay, I actually took a really hard line here. And especially with the way Shia is currently being viewed in the media, rightly so, in my opinion, that could be debated, whatever, given what I've just spoken about. She took that opportunity and ran with it, which I don't think is right. But it's difficult to watch someone like Shia then be able to take advantage and kind of like he's just been cast in something else now. And he's just recently come out and said that he lied about abuse in another movie that he did for the content of the movie, which doesn't sit incredibly well with me. And I feel like, I don't know, like I don't, I don't condone Olivia's lying, but I feel like, oh, you see, I see her name being brought up with things, you know, relating to Amber Heard and everything else. And I just, I am absolutely, like, I'm, I'm unequivocally not getting into that here. I'm probably not getting into that ever. But I just think, I just kind of wish people would take a little, a tiny step back and just acknowledge, I'll say it again, multiple things can be true at once. Things can be complicated. Multiple people can be right and they can be wrong at the same time. So yeah, I just don't want people to, I don't know what I want people to do, but I just, it's, it's very messy. It's messy down. When I mentioned about those tendrils, it's messy down to the absolute roots of this between everything. You have the kids with the Olivia and Jason situation, the rampant misogyny that continues to happen in these fandoms and goes unchecked, like this absolute toxic fandom culture. The misogyny you have of pitting these women against each other. This crazy situation where Harry is accused of spitting into Chris Pine's lap and that becomes just this absolute whirlwind of he did it and people believe it and there's no, how can you tell? And, you know, things are edited and everything like that. It's just, it's, it's mind boggling. And I don't, I, the thing is, I don't think it's going to end with the release of this movie. I think this is only going to continue. Someone's going to write about it in a memoir, I'd say. Um, which leads us very nicely to our guests for our flop this week. I am huge fans of my next guests on Flop Culture. Recently announced as one of Vogue's top podcasts for 2022. They are my top podcast of all time. 
if that counts for anything. It absolutely doesn't. Their often shrewd and always hilarious analysis of celebrity memoirs has kept me on tenterhooks every Tuesday since they started their podcast in 2020. I am so delighted to welcome comedians and podcasters Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton of Celebrity Memoir Book Club to talk about their flop, Good Christian Bitches, a.k.a. GCB. I am delighted to be joined today on Flap Culture by two of my faves, and I'm sure many of yours. Uh, the Irish worm contingent is extremely strong. Uh, please welcome to Flap Culture, Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton, hosts of Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Thank you for Hi. having us. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Uh, we are... Ireland fans as much as you guys are worm heads. <laughs> I feel like I am an Ireland fan and then Ashley is an Ireland freak. <laughs> okay, when you say that, what do you mean? Just enthusiastic, like to the max. I just love Ireland. I like, I feel like it goes back to when I was in elementary school and I have no culture. <laughs> I mean, I'm Jewish. <laughs> I'm Jewish and Chicago culture is a thing, but I feel like in America specifically, in largely white areas, everyone's obsessed with like some random piece of their like cultural identity in a very specific way. Like I feel like everyone in my school was either like, oh, my grandparents are German or my grandparents are this. And like my family doesn't give a shit about any of that. Like we have no, my family cares about being from Chicago and that's it. Like my great grandpa is obsessed with Chicago or was, but like so then one time someone told me I looked Irish and I was like, I'm going to run with that forever. And I just became obsessed with Ireland. And it never went away. Yes. And that's the thing is when I went, I was nervous because I was like, wow, I spent like 20 years just being like, wow, the greatest country in the world, Ireland. And then I went and I was like, oh, I love it. I truly <laughs> believe it's like the only place I would want to live besides here. Like I, I loved it so much. I didn't want to leave. We need to, you need to figure out the live show logistics and just come over because I buy all the tickets. I know it's a costly affair. I'll just buy them all. Just come. We'll go drink and it's fine. I want to so badly. You have no idea. Spring 2023. I'm 100%. We're making it happen. Spring 2023. Oh, I can't wait. I'm deliriously excited. That's a hashtag exclusive for me. I'm very excited. (laughs) Um, Talk to me about your pick for this episode because it's a lot nicher than I suppose some of the other things that people have picked because I'm actually not sure if it aired in Ireland, but spoiler alert, I fucking loved it. What did you pick? Okay, so we picked GCB, which was a TV show that was on ABC Network. It aired, I want to say, like 2010, 2011. It was a while ago. But what is unique about this TV show is it's one of those shows that I watched and I was like, I think I'm the only person on earth who ever saw this show. And then in my life, I have had a lot of like diversity in media consumption friend groups. Like I've had friend groups where none of us like the same music, none of us like the same books, none of us like the same TV shows. We all love GCB. And so I have this running joke that the only people who watched GCB are people I personally know. And everybody I personally know has watched GCB. That like it is a perfect circle. And that is the problem that like only 30 people watch this show, but I happen to be very good friends with all of them. It is such a crowd pleaser. I don't know how we got... Like, I just don't understand how I could know every single person who doesn't matter for ratings. Like, it is such a good show and everybody I know loves it. And it's this weird thing where no one, because it got canceled so soon and because 
no one really ever talks about it. I feel like we were friends for a long time before we mutually realized we both loved GCB. It's something that people bring up very quietly. They're like, you know what show was so good? It aired for like one season. It was called GCB. And then everyone will be like, oh my God, I loved it. Like it's brought I mean, up very quietly, always. I feel like like we both loved Greek. Like Greek is a weird show that I just watched in one week, one time in college when I had the flu. And you'll meet other people out there who are like, oh yeah, I binge Greek. Like Greek is one of those things but that everyone secretly has a relationship with. But it makes sense because it ran for like four or five seasons. Like clearly there was some science behind why it kept going. Somebody was watching it and that's why it existed. But the science behind GCB is that nobody must have been watching it because it never got a second season. And yet everyone I meet has a soft spot in their heart for GCB. So I just don't understand <laughs> what, what happened to GCB. That's what we're here. We're here to investigate. We're here to dig into it and just answer the question once and for all. Uh, GCB stands for Good Christian Bitches. Um, the show was based on this novel, semi-autobiographical from Kim Gatlin. Uh, and it's basically this uh, recently widowed woman moves her family back to this upscale Dallas area town where she grew up. Um, and it's very like, because what people won't know is Claire was actually on before talking about Crossroads, which we may be able to resurrect at some point to watch this space. And one of the things we were talking about a lot on that episode was female friendship and how it was nice to see that explored on screen and like that joy. And then in other ways, GCB, Good Christian Bitches, is just like the absolute antithesis of that in a way, because it follows this friend group the gal who comes back who's recently divorced she was this total bitch in high school like absolute queen bee hated all these other gals and now comes back recently divorced you're talking bible belt america it's the most shameful thing ever she's trying to worm not worm her way back into the community but like start this new life start fresh prove to everyone she's changed it's for a soap and for like a, a comedy it's actually it's got a lot of layers to it i think Yes, yeah, it's very and layered. So the other thing is that she comes back. She was once this queen bee who left town. Most of the people from that area, I guess, stay put. They like marry someone from high school. She married someone from high school, but they moved to California. And he dies after being exposed as like a criminal who was, I guess, what's it called when you take money off the top from your business? Embezzling a ton of money. And I then he was like a Bernie Madoff type character. Like he was getting yeah, Ponzi. And then he was fleeing the country with his mistress when he like drove off a cliff and died. So she's like not only returning as the former queen bee bitch, now nice widow. She also was like returning with her head absolutely between her legs, her tail, I guess, something's between her legs. And she's like ashamed and trying to like reinvent herself. We actually, we have to talk about that opening scene because it is just absolutely insane. But it kind of sets it up for what you're going to get from the series. So as you said, it's uh, the husband is on the run. He's after being found out. The mistress in the car. They have all the money in the car. They're like, we're going to get out of here, babe, whatever. And sure, of course, (laughs) she starts giving him a blowjob in the driver's seat. He careens off a cliff. The car explodes, dies she finds this out. And as you said, it's to go back full tail between her legs. Like that is, this word is overused, but it is a bit iconic. And it's great because she is, the main actress is, sorry, why am I blanking on her name? What's her name? Leslie Bibb. Leslie Bibb, who is so beautiful. I mean, I could talk for two hours about the costuming on that show. That show, it came out 10 years ago. It should have been the most dated, awful outfits. Every time she came on screen, I was like, I need to go to James' purse and become... California coastal cool. Like she looks so beautiful. 
She's so the protagonist. You love her so much. And yet they do a really good job of being like, no, what she did was fucked up. She is coming back. And it really is like if Regina George returned to her hometown, she is not likable. She is like, she owes these people a good apology. They don't like her, but for very good reason. Yeah. And there is this kind of thing where it's like, it's sad what happened to her, but also she was the head cheerleader who got her comeuppance. And then you also have her returning to this world that she left and clearly did not pay any mind to for a like decade and a half. And they have like continued on without her. So like, it's still the same group of girls. There's like a new queen bee. There's a new, you know what I mean? Like the social hierarchy has adjusted, but it's still the same world that she left. Um, And it's so interesting, especially when you see like Kristen, what's her name? Chenoweth? Chenoweth. Is the new kind of head bitch. And like when you see her character kind of bristle at like the, previous trauma of Amanda Vaughn, who was Leslie Bibb's character. You're just like, oh my God, this like new head bitch still has all these sort of soft spots from where Amanda Vaughn tormented her. It's like very well done. It's Yeah, it's when... So there's a particular one where they're doing the musical for the church as like a... Yep. To kind of show this other church to be like, we're class and try and get people to stop mm-hmm. leaving. And there's a whole thing where uh, Kristen Chenoweth's character, Carlene, who's the new Queen Bee, she's cast as the leper, I think, initially, and then starts going on about how, like, it kind of triggers her because she's, like, used to give me such shit about my skin in high school. And it's, like, that's the kind of push and pull for the whole series where it's, like, Amanda's just desperately, like, I fully acknowledge I was a complete cunt, but I don't know how to get you to understand that I'm, like much better now. I've grown up. It's not high school. And it must be very frustrating to watch them all fit into those like cliques and same characters, as you said, like Carlene's Queen Bee, like the rest of the gals all fall in line, mean girl style, but not like none of them really like each other. If you were to look at it with the way they treat each other, but it's so, you can't help but like all of them as well though. Like I feel really warmly toward not just Amanda but as you said Amanda is like such a strong protagonist Kristen Chenoweth you kind of can't help but feel sorry for because of what she went through but also Kristen Chenoweth this is just a role she's born to play like that cartoon villain uh, she Miriam is so Shore, good I mean the, so with good. the scene where the thing is Amanda Vaughn keeps doing things that someone would have every right to be mad at her for so like the episode where she accidentally she accidentally shoots Carlene yeah <laughs> that scene where Kristen Chenoweth comes in on still are not still but on crutches and is just like hobbling around being so hurt and upset. I mean, it, the comedic timing is incredible. It is four extremely strong female actresses just crushing it. Yeah, I was like blown. I mean, obviously Kristen Chenoweth is like a motherfucking powerhouse. The woman who plays cricket, I was just like, look at her go. I mean, the way that she kind of takes over a scene was crazy. And they all have like such great comedic timing. Like that scene where Cricket and her husband accidentally take that, um, that like pill pill to have sex with each other. Yeah. Because the whole thing there is again, obviously it's like uber religious. Uh, She's with the husband, but the husband is actually gay and is like hiding it, but they're just keeping up pretenses for the community. Um, But at one point they decide they want to have another kid 
but they're just not attracted to each other or whatever. They just can't do it. Um, so they take this mad pill that Blake gets on the internet from China and they just start like sweating profusely like we all are now as a result of climate change. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's very, she's very good. People will know her from, it's Miriam Shore. People know her from Younger, which I did not yeah, want. So on my younger. list. I love I just feel Younger. Like the way that like they all pull off these cartoonish scenes and make them so good is crazy. People don't, I feel like think about how hard that is to make it not so over the top that you completely lose it. Um, Oh yeah. So I had two things to say. First of all, um, in terms of the female friendship, I actually think it does portray a really unique type of female friendship that I kind of feel like I have in being still friends with a bunch of people that I went to high school with where your friendships like morph into almost like cousins. Do you know what I mean? Where like maybe you're competitive with each other. Maybe you fight with each other. Maybe sometimes you're like mad at each other or like on the surface, it doesn't seem like you have any reason to even call it like friendship. (laughs) I think that that sounds much harsher than I mean it, but you know, (laughs) I have friends that I like don't talk to that often, but then when we do, it's like no time has passed. And then, cause when they really need each other, they're just like there. I think my favorite episode is the one where they try to, where they like have the girls win the barbecue contest um, so there's this barbecue contest that really is just like an unspoken man's game. And sometimes the women are on a team and help out with, you know, stirring or sauce or something like that. But it's the men's thing. And Amanda Vaughn is like, I want my daughter to be able to compete in the barbecue contest. And the way all of the women rally to help her win the barbecue contest, I'm just like, yeah, when they fucking need it, they're there for each other. And it's really sweet. Sometimes it's like uber manipulative. Sometimes it's crazy. But then... I don't know. When it comes down to it, they're just like on it. What do you think it gets right about the religious aspect? Because like we're we're going to get into it. I think that's kind of the reason why it was unfairly derailed. Yeah. Um, obviously, Ireland Catholicism, whoop, whoop. There's a lot of parallels we see here, but that Bible Belt, we don't really have anything comparable here, I think. What did they get right and what did they get wrong? Because in some ways, when I watch it, I'm like, I feel like they could have gone way, way harder or more controversial in commas. I feel like they didn't need to, though. I mean, obviously, we could go in on the fact that, you know, we have, like, an evangelical, like, politics now. But I feel like that wasn't the point. It's more the irony and the hypocrisy of the way that people will use religion to be so fucking judgmental and mean. And, like, how Carlene has the Bible memorized and anything she wants at any given time can be backed up with a Bible quote. And it's like, if she hates your dress, here's a Bible quote. If she thinks you should default to listening to her, here's a Bible quote. If she thinks you should be working harder on your own and leave her alone here. Like, I just think that the way that whatever they want to say at any given time can be backed up by a Bible quote and therefore it has the moral authority. And if you can quote it, you can do it. I think that's so spot on. And the way that they'll do absolutely psychotic, cruel things and then be like, well, as Jesus said, um, and I feel like that did the job. I mean, I just don't know that this show was trying to like fight for abortion rights. You know what I mean? I think think it was fun and being like, yeah, these are bad people who are all doing it in the name of the Lord. And meanwhile, they're all like billionaires. One of the things we haven't mentioned yet is that they are the height of like Texas oil mills. So they are so fucking rich. Everything is over the top. The houses are huge. The hair is huge. The donations, the parties, everything is huge. And here they are talking about like what Jesus would have wanted. And as always, it's like turn the other cheek unless you're getting Botox kind of thing. So I thought that that was fun. And I thought it was well done because it just goes, it doesn't matter how much you love God or not. If you're a bitch, you're a bitch. 
Yeah, I will say I'm Jewish. So for me, it like did fall very in line with like how I think of like Christian irony with what Claire said, where there are these people who are like advocating for very cultish shit and then saying it's what Jesus wants. And it's like, all right, well, not from my understanding, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was it's just like a fun, campy version of like what I think Dallas is, honestly. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So funny how, like, wealth is shown on the show as well. Like, because Cricket and Blake, like, the kind of the reason why they stay together is that they're two really good business people as well. And like crickets just throwing off things about like conglomerates and all that jazz. But I love when it goes to clips when they're supposed to be like in a private jet and it's yes, just like yeah. a full house. And she That's just goes and sits yeah. in a massage chair. And I'm just like, is this what Taylor Swift is in when she's running around doing her bits? <laughs> It's just that's also, that's also one of my favorite gags of the whole thing. It's just like when they'll be having a full-on conversation in their bedroom and then all of a sudden they're to the side and it's like parked for landing or whatever. It's so, so funny. There are so many like little cutaways. That's the other thing is the writing on that show is so funny. There are like brilliant one-liners all the time. Um, oh yeah, the other thing I was going to say is the relationships I think are really interesting. I think that the way it, it portrays a lot of kind of non-traditional relationships and obviously there is like oppression and the fact that Blake doesn't feel like he can you know run his business as a gay man and all that stuff but the way he and Cricket really do love each other is very interesting to me and the way they have this like agreement where you know she hooks up with her trainer he hooks up with his ranch hand they just kind of I don't know like there is like a real sweetness in their relationship and then Carlene's relationship is like low-key sweet, even though she's so crazy. I don't know. I think it's very interesting. You can tell they are in love with each other. It's the same with uh, Sharon and her husband and their whole... Because like you kind of meet them at the start and I fucking hated the two of them and it was just like I didn't... Yeah. And like, obviously, I will say there's issues with Sharon's storyline. It's like, a little bit fantastic yeah. at the start. I will say it's not perfect. It's a product of its time. It's 2012. Um, but even watching them kind of work through their shit and at the end you're rooting for them because it is that thing yeah. of like they do clearly love each other and even with the going back to the female friendships and seeing the kind of as I said that push-pull where it's like Carlene and Amanda want to kill each other one minute and the next they're like tag teaming to like give their kids like the sex talk so so that they can get one up on them it's just it's very good it's very very yeah. good it's very good it's really funny. I mean, yeah, as you're in the writing, 
the women are all just great at rattling off a one-liner. Carlina has some line one time and they're trying to shut down the Hooters when she gets them to all dress like pilgrims. And Amanda's like, well, why do you get to dress like that? And she goes, it's not my fault that I have a spiritual husband who likes them high and where he can see him. <laughs> and I'm like, and she just says it and it's so perfect. And, and then of course they're, they're singing in every episode, which is like fun because Kristen Chenoweth really does just have the voice of a generation. Yeah, I do love the way that every show that Kristen Chenoweth is ever in just like adds a Broadway element because they're like, well, we have a Broadway icon in our cast. We might as well just make them sing a bunch. I'm also obsessed with the way that, I don't know what her name is, but the woman who plays plays cricket, who's in Younger. The idea of these women who are kind of in their 40s and 50s and are Broadway stars who go on to TV and just like bring friends with them. Like, I feel like Kristen Chenoweth got cast first because she was very much in the, the public eye at that time. And then I feel like she was like, well, bring my friend. She's so cool. And then the friend got younger and they're like, well, bring Sutton. Like, I don't know, something about the idea of friends from musical theater coming into TV and just like doing it together as like a gag. <laughs> really, it seems, it seems like the way I would want to do a project. I'd be like, hey, Ashley, I'm doing this random thing do you want to come and just just casting it and staffing it with everybody I like from my other world something about that I don't know if that's how it really worked but that's how it feels to me and I am obsessed with it I feel like low-key it's because musical theater is just like the hardest yeah thing I think the fact that these people like when you are starring on a Broadway show you're doing like I think eight shows a week of live performance that is hard like incredible work. And so then I feel like when they go to TV, they're just like, all right, this is going to be a fun thing to do for like a little break. Let me bring my friends. And everyone's like, TV is harder than you think. And they're like, it's not. We'll just do this. We'll just hang out. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just hang out for hours and hours and hours. Um, I'm wondering, as well as the religious and and the name change, which we'll get into, I'm wondering, did it not succeed because of where TV was at and potentially going? Because I feel like we were really getting into like moving away from comedy in a big way and moving into like prestige We were going into like peak Game of Thrones at this time. When I was looking at what else was on, uh, there was like Girls started this year, Scandal. Uh, in terms yeah. of comedy then, you'd like Veep, The Mindy Project. Are You There? Chelsea was this year, which is very in that same genre. And then in terms of what ended that year, we had Dropped Dead Diva, Rules of Engagement and Whitney, which is again, that kind of thing. Do you think people are just moving away from those kind of soapy, funny shows? Yeah, like this is very, it was too much like glee or something. Like people were sick of the campiness. They wanted to return to the fly on the wall. Like either super dry or very, I mean, Whitney, I would say is laughs delivered on a platter, that kind of multi-cam style sitcom, which kind of sucks. I mean, I think Whitney got canceled too. I wasn't a Whitney fan. But, yeah, Whitney uh, was two seasons and can't. I guess yeah, I, I kind of wonder if it has a lot more to do with the subject matter and probably people protesting it. Like, which, I mean, if you think about, you know, in the United States, how many major corporations have like Christian CEOs, Christian roots, things like that, who are involved in advertising. Like if Johnson & Johnson won't advertise with you, you're... Fucked. Like, I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if the just the making fun of Christianity, they were just too ahead of their time. And the fact that it was on a major network, which relies on advertising abilities, just kind of buried them. I think that if it was on HBO, maybe seven years later, it would have been a completely different story. 
Because I wonder yeah, too when that show. Um, what was the show, the, uh, Jane the Virgin? I feel like it's very in line with a Jane the Virgin. I think it is very in line with a Glee. It is this campy, over-the-top, fun. It's very Desperate Housewives. I don't know when that ended. Yeah. Maybe it was too similar to Desperate Housewives and people saw it as a knockoff. But I do think there was an appetite for this campiness that was existing in other places. So you'd have to think maybe it is... Maybe it was that. Maybe there were so many... There was the Desperate Housewives and then there was a Real Housewives... And it just didn't stand out enough. It felt too much like a carbon copy. Yeah, I think they did really want to fill that Desperate Housewives hole. And this just didn't for some people. But it's kind of mad when you consider, we've obviously been through the cast, but in terms of the team behind it, you have Aaron Herbert, Gretchen J. Berg. They went on to do Pushing Daisies, which is another one of my absolute faves. And we will be talking about it on the podcast at another point. Uh, oh, they went on to so Revenge. Good. It's so good. Darren Starr, obviously executive producer, Sex in the City. But it was definitely, like, I think the nail in the coffin for it was, Ashley, as you mentioned, there were a couple of organizations got on objecting to the title around it being Good Christian Bitches. So then it changed to Good Christian Bells. And I think they were kind of, they were sent out in promos, but then they had to rename it again to what it became GCB because there were like affiliates in Texas and other states in that Bible Belt area that were basically like, we're not airing the show if the name isn't changed. But even in Australia, like it was still GCB, which is mad. Because I feel like if you watch that, if you're walking in and someone's watching it in the living room or whatever, and that opening title comes on, you kind of get nothing about what it is unless you stay and watch it because it's just like Amanda throwing, the back of Amanda, she's throwing off this white cowboy hat and then it's GCB comes up in glittering letters. But sure, when you Google GCB as well, it's like Ghana corporate bank. Like it's, it's a mess. Yeah. Like I agree with you totally. That title sequence is awful. You have no idea what the show's about. It looks like it's just filler for a high school football game or something. Yeah. I also think it would have done really well because if you liked Younger, you're going to love this. It's very in that line of silly, ridiculous, over the top, but good fun. And I think it would have really done well if it had been under the radar and become a cult classic and then been elevated as opposed to when you're on this big network and you're trying to please too many people and there's too much money involved and then you start changing and bending and kowtowing. I think you do have to start off small. And then yeah, I, I think it was set up to fail. I think the worst thing that could have happened is them putting it on a major network. I think it should have been like premium cable for sure. Even just cable. If it had been on like TV land, if it had been on USA, yes. it could have it could have been on USA with like psych and shit like that. That would have, I think, low-key fit. But uh, yeah, being on ABC was not going to work, I think. Can you ever see it being rebooted or like kind of picked up years later? Because I suppose it does end on this fairly huge cliffhanger. Like Caroline's husband has the secret daughter. Amanda kisses the pastor. Uh, there's this whole thing around uh, Cricket starts to fall in love with this other man who ends up finding out that Blake is gay. And there's like that right there. And it really seems like they're going to finish. Jennifer's just sold her business or Cricket just bought out Jennifer's business, which is around like the, it's so insane. Like these Christian inspired weight loss meals. They're so fucking deranged. Um, but it's really like, it cuts to credits and you're kind of like, well, surely there's another episode. And there isn't. So yeah. like, what would you like to see happen next? 
I have to say, I don't think it could ever be picked up because now I think the country is so divided and I don't think we're in a place where, as you said, I don't think we can laugh about it anymore. Before it was just like, oh, that's Texas. Everything's bigger, the closer, bigger the hair, the closer to God. And you could kind of laugh at a distance. I think now, as it always was, but more in the forefront, the way that we're like, my life is being politically changed. People's lives are at risk because of these religious and political differences. And it's not funny anymore. So I don't think it can be picked up again. But um, yeah, um, I do think it should have been like a couple years later than it was, but like today it never could have existed. But I do think, I mean, if there had been a second season, I really liked the way that the mystery around Amanda's husband's death kind of unfolded. I liked when they thought like maybe he's still alive and he's in Mexico or just like all these random things that you were like, why does it, I don't know. I feel like there could have been another real twist with Amanda's husband that could have been fun. Um, I don't know. I just want Blake to be happy. I just want Blake to be out and dick around <laughs> and so have the time of his life. Oh my God, he is the most handsome man alive. I need to get the actor's name. He is just absolutely ludicrous. What else is he in? Uh, he, Mark Declan, Blake, you know, he's in Designated Survivor, but you know what else he was in that I fucking loved? Devious Maids. Devious Maids is class. That, that Another feels- absolute Desperate Housewives rip off. It's like Carla from Scrub. See, they're all shagging each other and yeah. whatever. It's the, the rich and the poor, whatever. Again, probably wouldn't be made today, but whatever. It was so good. I will say the Real Housewives of Dallas actually has very parallel lines to this. And they have very similar characters. So if you're looking to scratch that itch, I do think the Real Housewives <laughs> of Dallas, it makes you feel like maybe they weren't parodying anything. Maybe this just is how people <laughs> act. You have the crazy matriarch. You have the absurd wealth. You have the like secret gaze. You've got it all. <laughs> maybe we were just watching a documentary after all. Yeah. Um, they did. They they did green light it for uh, a reboot in 2018 for the CW, but with like a teen focus and like a teen cast, but it never went anywhere. Obviously, that's for- so funny because I was going to say I think you could have brought in more of the kids and like made it Gossip Girl, but the South. Yeah. There's like definitely still, I guess Gossip Girl for the South was Friday Night Lights. Yeah, but there's something, I didn't watch Friday Night Lights, but was that about, there's something about people who are absurdly rich that will always be interesting. Yeah. I guess Gossip Girl for the South was, what was that show with um, the girl from Victorious? That was a reboot of a like 80s soap opera. Dallas. Supposed to be good. No, wait. Again, on my list, but I haven't watched it. Dynasty, Dynasty. Dynasty, sorry, Dynasty, Dynasty. They're one of the same in my head, 2Ds. Dynasty was crazy. That show was just like absurdly rich people like finding out that they have a love child. They like did some really fun soap stuff. I feel like we don't see that that much. Maybe I don't watch enough TV right now. Like they had one of like a woman, like the stepmom gets her face burned off in as revenge and then like someone like pushes her into a fire and then she comes back with like a whole new face and it's like very fucked up and weird i don't know it's like a whole situation i'm obsessed okay i'm definitely keeping that on the list to watch um before i let you go and before i let you plug your gorgeous stunning podcast that i'm obsessed with what would be your elevator pitch just for anyone listening who needs that one final push to be convinced to go watch gcb I mean, it's rich women at the height of their careers. There's nothing I love more than a middle-aged woman who can command a stage 
being absurd with a ton of money and crazy hair. What else do you want? Yeah, I would say it's like just about gorgeous, successful women who are also like kind of silly. That's fun. It's so fun. It's so fun. I want to watch it again. I just finished it. I want to watch it again. There's very um, few men in it. That might be the elevator pitch. It really is. <laughs> like, there's almost no men in it. The men are like almost exclusively secondary characters at all times. Yeah. The men are the assistants and that's it. It's great. It's so good. Um, talk to the listeners for anyone who's not familiar, but I think I said this previously as well. I find that extremely hard to believe uh, yeah. that they wouldn't be familiar with Celebrity Rumor Book Club. What's it about and where can people find out more about you? Um, it's every, it's everywhere you could find it. Celebrity Memoir Book Club on all platforms. And basically every week we read a different celebrity memoir so you don't have to. We summarize the whole book and we give you our opinions and it's fun and it goes by fast and you never have to read a book again. Yeah. It's ideal. Um, you're on Patreon as well. Uh, so go subscribe there. They're everywhere on social media. Go find them. If you want my personal fave episodes, Elvira, um, Olivia Munn, regrettably, just because you're very funny and it's not because I think the book is any good. Um, who else? Jeanette McCurdy did very recently, which is like a, an incredibly dark tale, but done very well. So thank you for holding my hand through that. Um <laughs> God, there's so many. Just go go listen to all the episodes and then subscribe to the Patreon and listen to all of them. They're great. Claire thank Parker, you. Ashley Hamilton, thank you so much for joining me on Flop Culture. Thank you so thank much you. for having us. Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton there of Celebrity Murmur Book Club. An absolute pleasure to have them. Hopefully they'll come back at some stage. Please go listen to their podcast. I don't need to tell you. I know you already do. Go subscribe to their Patreon. They're everywhere on social media as well. And go watch GCB. It is a great little watch. Candy Floss for the eyes, the ears, the mind. Maybe not the nose and mouth just yet because technology hasn't advanced that far. And probably for the best. But a very good watch, especially if you're into that area of TV, era of TV, I should say. If you love Kristen Chenoweth, um, it is very dishy. And it's only one season, regrettably. So go watch. Finally, it is time for Top of the flops. You're a flop. Top of the flops this week is Harry Styles' salivary gland. Please tell me that's how you pronounce it, because if it isn't, I quit. The gland that produces saliva, right? Not being funny, of course he didn't spit in Chris Pine's lap. Do I kind of wish he did? Yeah. Yeah. I would have gotten at least two more weeks of podcast material out of that. And I would just... the dra- Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I don't know. Also, it's not Harry Styles' first uh, spitting controversy. Someone update the Wikipedia page. Imagine being so famous and spitting so frequently that you've more than one spitting controversy. Love that for myself. Anyway, Harry Styles' salivary gland is top the flaps for me this week for not coming up the goods and spitting on Chris Pine's lap. Not that I endorse spitting, okay? Was this a bad choice for top of the flaps? Potentially. Anyway, don't spit on people. That's the flop culture party line on that. Do not spit on people, okay? Anyway. Well, actually, I'm not here to yuck any ums. If you want to spit on people consensually, you can do that. But that's not this podcast. I'm not getting into that. We talk about flops exclusively here. And I'm very glad to have had you for this episode talking about GCB with Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton and all the Don't Worry Darling drama. 
My name is Fanil J. Thank you so much for listening. We are on Instagram and TikTok under flatculture underscore pod. You can get in touch at helloflatculture at gmail.com. If you leave a five-star review and your name or nickname on Apple Podcasts, I would recommend a bop or flop to you. And if you leave a five-star review on Spotify, you will have eternal smokeness, which is what I said last week, but I forgot to update the script for this week. So, but you will still be smug. If you haven't done that already, I would just really appreciate it. It's a nice thing to do. Any constructive criticism, DM me. But be nice because I am sensitive. I will see you next week for more flaps and celebrity goss. This podcast has been edited by Adam Shanahan and my gorgeous artwork is by Brian Lambert. We'll see you next week. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.